Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. All right, good morning. My name is Shiloh. Um, For some of you who don't know me, my husband and I were the pastors of Oasis that merged here with Horizon West, and we are together now, and you guys get the fun moment of hanging out with me this morning. We are in the middle of a series called Summer of Impact, where we have taken people from the Bible that have not necessarily been the center of attention or the most famous, but that they have made an incredible impact. And we've looked at their stories and their impact, and we've learned from them this summer. And Pastor Chris took us through an incredible story last week about Ananias, and we talked about Paul or Saul and his Damascus Road experience, and he left us with this question. Who have we, who are we holding the door open for that's coming after us? And who has held the door open for us to get to where we are? And today we are going to discuss missions, missions as it relates to a man named Barnabas, who was a missionary. He went on Paul or Saul's uh, first missionary journey with him. He was kind of like his sidekick, the guy in the background. And we're going to look at his life and everything that was recorded in Acts up until he was called to the mission field. And we're going to see what we can learn from that, okay? How does that sound? It's good? All right. It's going to be pretty cool. Let's pray real quick. Lord Jesus, we stand before you with clay, as clay in your hands, Father God. Use us, mold us, give us fresh revelation this morning as you begin to speak through me, Lord God, to wherever our hearts are at in the name of Jesus. Amen. So missions, this idea of missions and missionaries, and it's kind of a weird idea. It's like, what does it mean? Where does it begin? Is it a field, a mission field? Do we need to go to the field? Is it here? Is it our neighbor? Is it, uh, do you have to preach to be a missionary? Like, what is, what is missions? So today, we're going to talk about six myths to missions according to the life and call of Barnabas. And I began to think about this question years ago. I was a missionary, and I remember my plane landing in Cairo, Egypt. And as we landed, my director of our missions team looks at me and goes, Shiloh, you cannot preach about Jesus here. And I was like, wait, like, why are we here then? Like, how is this a mission trip? Like, I could go on vacation, you know? Like, there's a lot of museums here. Like, what are we here for? And they said, not only can you not preach about Jesus because the government will put you in jail for proselytizing, uh, but you will be persecuted and you cannot even tell people that you're a Christian. And I'm like, what? This is like blasphemy. Like, why can't I even tell people that I'm a follower of Christ? And they said, if you do, you will be jeopardizing the local Christians, missionaries, and leaders that we are connected with. You'll be jeopardizing their safety. And you, in your short term here, don't get to do that to them. And I was like, oh, I'm like, Lord, what do I do? What is this? Is this even missions? Like, what am I supposed to do here? And the Lord began to challenge me. He's like, Shiloh, if you were born with duct tape over your lips, would anyone know you are my follower? So I walked throughout the city and I did only the thing that I knew to do, which was pray. I would walk around and in Cairo, if you've ever been there, there's just 
beggars everywhere. There's street children, there's grannies who are trying to sell even the littlest things for their grandbabies and their children. And you see people with amputees and all the things on the street and it's heartbreaking and overwhelming. And especially if you feel like you can't call in the name of Jesus to do anything with it, right? And I was exhausted. It was a long time. I was there a month and I was like, Lord, I'm tired. I need a moment, a break. And I knew what to do. I needed to take a Sabbath. So it was six days of ministry and one day of Sabbath. And I took a little train down to a village called El Mahdi. And El Mahdi was an expat village, a little bit more swanky, had a few coffee shops, a few boutiques. And I knew I need a little, you know, slightly Americanized moment. And so I found a coffee shop called Cilantro. And if you all know me, anything that has to do with cilantro or tacos, I'm all in, 150%. So I'm like, you can combine cilantro and coffee, and like, you got me for life. So I walked in this coffee shop, and I still remember floor to ceiling, windows, and armed guards, AK-47s, right here. And I walk past the armed guards, and I'm like, dang, these people really value their coffee. (laughs) I'm like, even in America, like, we don't put AK-47s at the door, you know? And I walk past them, and I sit in my little booth, and I order my cappuccino, and I'm reading the word on my day off and soaking in what the Lord is teaching me and meditating on scriptures and writing in my journal, and I'm zoning out beyond the glass windows. And I see a small child out there, and he's hunched between two cars, and he looks around, And he grabs something off the ground, almost like a pit to a fruit. And he begins to scrape what's left of the fruit into his mouth. And as soon as somebody came by, he threw the piece of fruit down and he began to take little travel-sized Kleenexes and shove them into the sides of people to buy them. And people would eventually push him away. And he had a trick. It was a business plan, I'm sure. And as soon as they would shove it, he would let go because they would have to grab it. And he knew if they had to touch it, he would never take it back. And people aren't going to steal, so they'll pay him. But people started to get the business model and outsmart him. And they would begin to throw it at him and walk by. And I'm sitting there, sipping my cappuccino on my day off as a missionary. And my heart is broken for all the little children that I had walked by, not thinking that four cents, five cents, what would be nothing for me could be a week worth of work for these children. Maybe it could put this child back in school instead of on the streets begging. And I was like, Lord, what do I do? It's my day off. It's my Sabbath. And I looked at my friends, and I'm like, hey, can you hold my stuff? And I ran out, grabbed the little boy by the hand, and took him to the grocery store. We filled a cart full of groceries, and I put the bag in his hand and sent him on his way. I went back and sat down, and I felt like a great Christian. And I sat, and I drank my semi-cold cappuccino, and I'm wondering how this child is feeling and how the mother is feeling. He probably can go to school today for the first time because he didn't have to bring home his day's worth of work And as I'm reading scripture and meditating, I look up and he's doubled. There are two of them, identical, the same. And they're standing at the glass windows making faces at me. And the armed guards are pushing them off. And I'm like, oh crud, I've created a problem. And now I'm realizing the armed guards are for these children, right? These children. I'm like, Lord, what do I do? I don't even know what this is supposed to be. I'm not supposed to, like, I don't know how this is. And I knew that, like, they assume every American is a Christian because we 
are a Christian nation, we say. So, so they're assuming I'm Christian. I'm exposing people. Like, I don't know. I've created a problem. And I'm like, Lord, what do I do? And immediately I knew what to do because this is what the Lord did with me. He grabbed my hand and he made me his guest of honor for a day. So I walked past the armed guards. I took the two little boys. We walked past and the armed guards stood like this and I sat them at my table and we bought them strawberry milkshakes with whipped cream and we put pencils in their hands and they didn't even know how to hold a pencil, probably because they'd never been to school. And we drew smiley faces together and they, while we didn't speak the same language, they spoke Arabic. While, While we didn't speak the same language, I found out one thing about them. Their names were Mohammed and Allah. And the Lord showed me, even if you cannot say my name, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. What is missions? Is it on your day off? Is it when you're flying across the world and going into crazy territory? Is it when you could speak and preach about the name of Jesus? Is it with your neighbors? Is it at the doctor's office? What is missions? So today... We are going to look from the time that Barnabas is mentioned in Acts all the way up to the day of his missional calling, what we can learn about the truth of missions. So let's get started. Number one, giving to missions is about generosity, right? Sounds simple enough. Acts 4, 36 through 37 tells us about the first time that Barnabas is mentioned. It says, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which which translated means son of encouragement, owned a tract of land. So he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So let's give a little backstory. At this time, you know, Jesus died. He rose again. The church was multiplying. People, there were signs and wonders, and people were coming to know the Lord like crazy. It was growing. The Jews were following Jesus, getting saved. The Gentiles, like it was this big moment of awe and wonder and amazement of the supernatural and all these things. And just before this, in verse 34 and 35, it says that all of the people, all the apostles. So apostle just means messenger, people who are messengers by God. It means all the followers of Jesus, right? They were there following and um, they were in this place and they had all sold their land and their homes and they put it into a pool for anyone in need to make sure that nobody was in need. And it says that they did this and it's funny that why didn't they just leave it at that? Why did they have to talk about Barnabas? Like why didn't they? They just said that everybody was selling everything and putting it at the feet of the apostles and So why this? Why do they need to like repeat themselves and talk about this one guy? Because everything we're learning about Barnabas is because we get to learn something about missions and the importance of missions. It's important for us to know that Barnabas was a man of money. He was a man of wealth and he sold everything. See, we can look at this and be like, it's nice to be generous to missions, but the reality is it's more than generosity. It's about trust. The truth is, Giving to missions is about trust. This was about him saying, I'm all in. I'm 100% committed. I don't have a backup plan. This Jesus thing, this God thing, like I believe it, I'm all in. And we know that because just a chapter before, we remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. There was also people who went, sold everything. They sold half but they told them it was everything, and then they gave half of the proceeds, and they told them it was everything. 
because they were all in. Well, they were kind of 50%, really 25% in if you could think about it. But 25% following Jesus is kind of that back burner of like, I don't fully trust you. I don't fully believe that you're the God that you say you are. The first myth about missions is that giving is about generosity. And the reality is, the truth is, it's actually about trust. Number two, missionaries aren't afraid, right? We're like, oh my gosh, they are so, like, I can't believe they do that. That's so crazy. That would be scary to me. I would never do that kind of thing, right? And we look at Acts 9, 26 through 27, And this is taking off right after the time where Pastor Chris tells us that um, Saul or Paul had the Damascus Road experience, right? So he was the biggest persecutor of Christians. He was killing Christians. He was putting them in prison. He was doing all kinds of horrible things to them. He's on a road. There is an audible voice from God. He hears that and he goes blind and he realizes that, oh my gosh, the people that I've been persecuting persecuting are followers of this God that just spoke to me. He gives his life to Jesus. His eyes are unblinded and he begins to go out. He gets baptized and he goes out and shares the gospel. So he, this is the point where Saul comes to Jerusalem and tries to connect with all the disciples. Hey, I'm one of you guys now. Can you imagine the person who just like brutally killed your friend? He shows up in your town. He's like, hey, I'm one of you guys now. Can I come to dinner? And they're like, Let's see what happens. It says when he came to Jerusalem, he tried repeatedly, multiple times to connect with what were supposed to be his new people, his new friends, with the disciples. And yet they were all afraid of him, all, 100%, as they did not believe that he was a disciple. He's tricking us. He's not here for us. But Barnabas, I don't know about you guys, but if there's ever, like if I was ever supposed to be in the Bible, I want to be like a but Shiloh moment, right? The disciples were all afraid, but Shiloh. (laughs) That's like the best scripture, right? But Barnabas, so he was afraid, but he took hold of Paul, Saul, and he brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he, had, that he had talked to him and how he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus at Damascus. So not only did he step out in faith and fear, right? He was close enough to listen to his story. He got to know him. He was vulnerable in those moments. So the truth is missionaries... Step out in fear and faith. They move past fear to faith. Myth three, you got to be a preacher, right? It makes sense. You got to be able to preach to be on the mission field. Acts 11, 22 through 24, it begins to paint this picture right after Barnabas, and this happens with, um, with Paul, and he comes, and they're, he's not afraid, and all of this. They also get word that not only is this Jesus Savior stuff going to the Jews, but now the Gentiles think they're chosen. And it says here that the news, now this word news actually is translated to be kind of negative news, like the disheartening moment, the news about them, meaning that the Gentiles were receiving salvation and getting transformed by the Savior of Jesus Christ, reached the ears of the church. So the church back in Jerusalem, the Jews were going, wait a minute, these people over here are acting like they're chosen when we're chosen. We're the ones that this, was, this salvation was created for. 
So they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Antioch is where it was. And so essentially they're sending an elder, a leader, someone to kind of correct them, to see what's going on, to check, to provide oversight. And then it says, then when Barnabas arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolve, I'm sorry, resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were added to the Lord. Now, we go back to that very first verse we talked about where it says his name was Joseph, but his friends, the disciples, called him son of encouragement. It's because he wasn't necessarily a preacher, a teacher. He didn't really necessarily have any of the gifts or whatever. It was kind of like, dude, you're just so encouraging all the time. I'm just going to call you son of encouragement. At my work the other day, we did a, a strength-based assessment, and then at the end, I had the team go around and say, what would your superhero name be? If you had one superhero name, what would that be? And we got around to one of the ladies, her name is Jessie, and she goes, I would be Magnetic Jessie. And I was like, yes, you would. Like this woman, when you go around her, like... She, People are drawn to her. Like everywhere she goes, she gets numbers. She's like, oh, I made a new friend. And I'm like, you made a new friend? Like we just, like, we just went to the bathroom. Like you made a friend? She's like, oh, yeah, and here's our picture together. And we're going to go to the, like, this event on Saturday night that we both live in the same neighborhood. And I'm like, you're a lot, girl. You're a lot. <laughs> she has friend after friend after friend after friend. And yes, she is magnetic, Jessie. And I'm like, you know what, I wish I would have thought of that first because that is exactly who you are. You see, you don't have to be a preacher to be a missionary. God will use whatever gifts you have. Are you an encourager? The word encouragement itself means to call closer and to comfort. So he showed up. He saw what God is doing and he called them closer and he comforted them, them with, their word, with his words. He did what he was good at. You don't have to be one way to be a missionary. God will use exactly how he created you. Myth number four, when you are called to lead or be a missionary or be a pastor or whatever you're called to do, it comes out of the blue, right? Oh, God called those people over there. That's not me. He didn't call me. I'm just a mechanic, you know? I remember growing up, going to Christian camp, and afterwards they'd be like, how many people are called to be pastors? And they'd close their eyes and raise your hand. How many people are called to be pastors' wives? How many of you are called to be missionaries? How many of you are called to be pastors' husbands? I'm kidding. They didn't say the last part, but they should because my husband would have raised his hand. He'd be like, me, 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 me. Just kidding. But I sat there and I remember thinking like, my older brother is really gifted with his hands and he's probably going to be a mechanic one day. Why didn't anybody ask him? How many of you are called? to be a mechanic? How many of you are called to lead in your neighborhoods? It doesn't come out of the blue and random. Acts 11, 29 through 30. There is this moment where Barnabas, when he is in Antioch, that place that he was supposed to go and correct, and instead he encouraged because he saw what God was doing, there's this moment where he goes back and he gets Saul and he says, come and see what God has done. Like, who are we to argue with the power of God giving favor to a people that we thought didn't have favor? But God clearly has worked. And he brings back a prophet and the prophet says, I want to let you guys know there's going to be a famine soon. And it's going to be in the land of Judea. And the people, 
It says, and to the extent that any of the, dis- the disciples had means, meaning some kind of resource, some kind of wealth, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did this by sending it with Barnabas and Saul to the elders. This is the first relief effort in the New Testament. Like, they pulled their resources. This is, like, nonprofit style all the way, guys. Like, they're like, somebody over there is about to starve. So we are going to pool our resources as a community, as a church, as a people, and we're going to send it to make sure our brothers and sisters are taken care of. And they did this, sending it with Barnabas and Saul. Why did they send it with Barnabas and Saul? Because they had watched them over time and observed that they had been faithful with what was given them. You see, back then they didn't have Venmo and Zelle and Cash App and put the cash under the mat and I'll see you later. I mean, like, I've been doing this, like, all week with uh, Facebook Marketplace, so I clearly know what I'm talking about. Uh, But they didn't have all that. They had, you had to trust someone to send money. And it was by horse, right, or chariot to another place. And it had to be someone that you knew their character so well that you knew your money would get to where it's supposed to be. And this is money from a whole people group to a whole nother people group. It's a lot of money. And they had observed over time Barnabas's obedience to the Lord. You see, being called to lead doesn't come out of the blue. Being called to lead comes out of consistent obedience to the Lord. You see, remember, at this point, he's still not called to the mission field. At this point, he's just... We're just observing who he is. And the Lord watches too. He's watching and he's like, look at this. The man sold everything and he was all in. Look at this. The man wasn't afraid. He loved anyways. He stepped out in belief anyways. Look at this. People trusted him because he had integrity and he was faithful. You see, leading doesn't come out of the blue and being called doesn't come out of the blue. It comes from consistent obedience. And number five, the myth that only some are called. Acts 13, 2 through 3. This is in Antioch. Paul and Saul, it says they, while they were serving the Lord and fasting. Now let me stop here and break this word down. The word serving actually means to lead a liturgical service. Liturgical service is similar to something like this. A scheduled service. So they were either worshiping or uh, they were doing some kind of service together in a corporate setting. So for me, I don't know if you guys kind of are with me on this, but I would think that that's of the Lord, right? They were serving and it says the Lord uh, and fasting The Holy Spirit said, so in the middle of all that, set Barnabas and Saul apart for me, capital M, for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, whenever in scripture we have something that's kind of like weird, I like to just sit and really think about like, what does this look like in the whole context of the scripture and the character and nature of God? So, They weren't like sitting at scoops eating ice cream and like the Holy Spirit stopped and was like, I have called Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries. Like that makes more sense. Like, you know, you're eating ice cream now. I'm calling you out of that. Right. But like, why would he be calling them out of serving the Lord? It's not like it was two different things. It was like they were serving the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit said, hey, you're going to come and do the work, which this word work is actually divine work, the work of God. They're going to do the work that I've called them to. So it was like, oh, you're calling them out of doing what they were already doing to do what what they're already doing? (laughs) And 
the part of this that's important is all up until this point, all up until the calling, everything that he had stepped into was simply just falling for the kingdom of God, was simply obeying the Lord, was simply giving to the Lord, was simply uh, doing the work of the kingdom. It wasn't unique. It wasn't different. He didn't have to be called to lead and called to do He just was being obedient with what was in front of him right there. You see, the truth is that all are called because we all have the opportunity to do and be faithful with what God has right in front of us in that moment. And number six, this is my favorite one, some are called to go, some are called to give. I will be honest with you, I have been a missionary in 14 countries, and there was a time in my life where I wasn't tithing. I wasn't giving. When people would ask me for missions, I wouldn't give to them because I thought, I'm the one that's called to go. I'm the dirty one. I'm the one that puts on the backpack and lives in the weeds. I'm the one that, like, you know, washes out of a bucket. Like, I'm the one that does the work. I don't have the money to give. And the Lord began to touch my heart. It's like all are called to give and all are called to go. And the moment that I began to trust the Lord with my finances, the Lord began to do a work in my heart that was different than any level of going could have done. You see, if we look back at Acts 6.36, where we were talking right at the beginning, remember this piece where he owned a tract of land. Everybody else that says they own land, they own a house, they own possessions. He owned a tract of land. So we know that he was a man of wealth. And this also works the opposite way. How many times have we been like, you know what? I could never go. Like, I could never go. Like, I'm, I'm not like a backpacker. Like, I can't, like, live with no electricity and a generator like that. Like, I, ah, like, I, I can give, right? But we see that he would have been labeled the giver. He would have been the one that would have been the giver. But as he gave, and then he used his giftings just right where he was at, the gift of encouragement, and then he stepped out past fear into faith, and then, you know, he was obedient with resources and funding, and all of a sudden, God was like, you know what? I'm calling you to something new. All are called to give and go. All are called to give and go. When I was in Egypt, I remember leaving that coffee shop and I walked down the way and I'm like, I'm going to go look in this boutique. And I was in the boutique and I came out. And as soon as I came out, a very tall woman in a Muslim hijab came and grabbed my face and began kissing me over and over and over and saying something in Arabic that I did not understand. And she held my face like this and I looked into her eyes and tears welled up in her eyes. And as soon as she was there, she was gone. And I knew who she was. She was this little boy's mom. And the thing is, I couldn't speak and tell people, this is not me. In fact, I was fighting with God about this, but this was Jesus Christ. Did not matter because she was Muslim and I was labeled Christian simply because I was American. And everything I did was pointing to Jesus. And this woman was touched by the Savior of Jesus, even though his name couldn't be spoken. You see, missions is yes, it is here, 
And it is there. It's our neighbor next door. It's our neighbor afar. It is the doctor that we meet in the doctor's office. It is, it is our kid's teacher. It's the kids that come into our home in our neighborhood. Yes, yes and yes, it's all of that. It's preaching and teaching from a stage and it's being on your day off and simply holding the hand of a child and treating them with dignity. It is all of these things. Missions is about living missionally. And what do we get to do with that? We get to give, we get to go, we get to be 100% in. We get to trust God and we get to obey all along the way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, some of us today are standing here going, God, missions is something that's super scary to me. I've never been on a mission trip. I don't know if I will ever be called to go, but you know what? Today I can stand here and say, I'll be open if that was something you ever laid on my heart. And that's big. That's good enough today. And some of us are the goers. Some of us are the servers. Some of us are the ones that work hard on the back end. But we have struggled with the giving piece. Because we're like, I, I'm not a person of resources. It's not for me. Lord, I pray you would show yourself an intimacy that they've never seen before through their faithfulness, God. And some of us are like, I don't see how you could use me, God. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I don't know how to lead people through the Romans road. Lord, give them encouragement. Give them encouragement to be used exactly the way you created them to be, Lord God. And some are filled with fear. And this is the time to move into faith. Whether it's our next door neighbor, whether it's our school, it's our time to say, but William, but Stephanie, but Lindsay, what is our but? We stepped out. And Lord God, today we receive from you a call to be missionally living right where we're at and if the possibility arises somewhere else one day. Thank you, Lord God, that you sent your son as a missionary to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.